Hey, we're so glad that you're here at all six of our physical locations, one church, two languages, multiple locations. <clears throat> glad if you're watching online on your device, on your TV, uh, on our YouTube or church online, just thank you all for being here. Believe something before we get rolling, uh, you're not here by accident. Believe God's got you here for a reason, even if you're not sure about God right now. We're glad you're here. If you got questions, you're kicking the tires of Christianity, we're glad you're here. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, we're glad you're here. God is that big, that awesome, and yet that personal. He's got something for all of us this weekend. We're in a series called The Crown. <clears throat> we're navigating through pretty much all of 1 Samuel. We'll be in chapter 16 today, so you can turn your Bibles on, open your Bibles up, or follow along with me. So uh, i got to confess something, okay? Uh, I missed one of these just this week, and I got pulled over with four middle school boys that I'm taking home from football practice in my truck with me, and 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 they're you know, they're like, Ooh, you know, it's one of those, and, and I'm like, oh, I just and listen, this sign. I, I, I went to school, uh, elementary school, by this sign. I knew the sign was there. I was looking to see, hey, it sounds like I'm making an excuse. I'm not. Uh, I was looking to see if, I could, if there was a shortcut to take one of these young men home. Totally missed it. And uh, blue lights and pulled over. I'm like, every one of you better make sure your seatbelt's on. You know, we're doing all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, graciously, the officer's like, hey, I know you. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Oh, that's even worse, right? <laughs> and so, you know, everything. But anyway, he's like, hey, just pay attention and thank you. But we miss stuff, don't we? Even obvious stuff. Stuff that maybe you know is there, but for an instance, it's not there, right? I mean, we just miss stuff. And the challenge that we have as we turn the page to chapter 16 is that we can miss God. And, and, and again, some of you are like, you know, God's obvious, but you still miss him. Some of you miss him, and you're like, don't know how to find him. You know, how does he work? I mean, I, I don't even know. And, and so, you know, like me, you know, I, I've been a Christ follower for better or for worse since I was like eight years old. And so I know God, I know he's somewhat obvious sometimes, and I still miss God. And then I know some of you might even be like in this camp, show where is God? And, and what we're going to see is how God works directly, first half of the chapter, indirectly, second half of the chapter, to move his will, his mission forward. Finally, for those of you that have been here the whole time, finally we get introduced to, to David, right? And he's going to emerge on the scene. But before we jump into chapter 16, I want to share three reasons why it's very easy, very easy to miss God. The first one, Jesus makes this statement in the New Testament. He says, my father is still working and I'm working also. So God is always working. And, and so very simply, one reason we miss God is we just don't believe he's working. Uh, you know, you read the news, <coughs> watch the news, you get news in your life, and you're like, how's God working in this? 
right? I mean, thing, bad things happen, decent, weird things happen, and sometimes we just don't believe God's working. And, and, a, and a big problem, I think, for a lot of Christians and church people is we only think God works in these big ways, amazing ways, like we got to feel it in our gut and the hair's got to stand up on the back of our neck. And so sometimes we just don't believe God's working, yet Jesus just told us he's always working. A- another reason we don't or we miss God, is given to us in Isaiah 55, where God tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So he's saying, hey, Matt, I don't think the way you think. And then he says, your ways are not my ways. The way you would do it is not the way I would do it. This is the Lord's declaration. For as high as heaven is higher, for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So the second reason we miss God is his ways are not our ways. And a lot of us have a huge problem with that because how many of us have fights with our spouse because we, we want it done our way, right? Guilty, right? So think about that with God who is not like us. He doesn't think like us. His ways are not our ways. And then the final way that we miss God, or final reason, excuse me, that we miss God or, or, or miss uh, the obvious of God comes from 1 Corinthians. God chose Things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing, bring to nothing what the world considers important. So it's a, a reversal. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Let me say that again. No one can ever boast in the presence of God. So one reason, a third reason we miss God is because God will never, ever, 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 ever honor our pride. And most of us, well... I'm going to go out on a limb here. All of us have pride issues. All of us have a big me, myself, and I meter in our psyche and how we see things. And, and so sometimes we want God to work on our, in ways that we think would elevate us or satisfy us, our egos or our pride. And, but his plan and his purposes actively work against our pride. And so into all of that, we need help seeing God. And so what we're going to see as we, we jump into uh, chapter 16 is we're going to see how, how things that keep us from seeing God in real time, in, in real space. We'll come up with about four or five reasons. But he, he, this has set it up the chapter. This is the turning point of the book as we move away from Saul and, and David begins to get more and more of the attention. Nine times in chapter 16 there is a Hebrew word that talks about how God sees things, looks at things, and provides things or sees two things. So that's the emphasis of the chapter. And then we're going to see a direct and then an indirect word of God. So it starts off in chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 16, and Samuel is upset. Samuel is grieving because Saul has sinned away his kingship. And this is bothering Samuel, and so he's kind of like stuck. He's down on the dumps, and God intervenes very, very directly to his man, his prophet Samuel. He says, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? In other words, hey, Samuel, you, have had a, you, have, you need to be over your anger you need to be over your grief. You need to move forward and move on because I am. And then he tells him what to do. He says, so I want you to fill your horn with, uh, horn with oil and go because you're going to go anoint the new king. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from among his sons. So Samuel is just sort of stuck. And so one of the reasons we miss God 
is we get emotionally stuck and it makes it hard to see what God's doing. Have you ever been so angry you can't think straight? Have you ever been so depressed you can't figure out, there's no silver lining on any cloud that's going on in your life? Have you ever felt like, you know, you, you, want, you were throwing a pity party and you wanted the whole world to come, right? I mean, just take, pick your emotion. And, and, and what happens is we, in pride, can enthrone our feelings. And we're emotionally stuck. And, and, and we live in a world that really is, I just don't feel it, or I do feel it, or I've lost peace, or I have peace, or I'm going with my gut. And what we do is we enthrone our feelings. And here's God saying to Samuel, how long are you going to stay stuck in this? At some point, we've got to move forward. <coughs> Excuse me. At some point, we've got to move on. So let me say it this way, because I think we, have, we, we do have feelings, and we need to recognize those and, and work those out. They're gauges, not guides. So he, he, here's kind of the kicker, I think. We may have a reason to feel a certain way, but we have a responsibility to be a certain type of person. So we, have a, we may have a reason. You may, it's many of us. You may have a reason to be bitter, but you have a responsibility to not stay bitter. You may have a reason to complain and be angry and be negative and be toxic, but you have a responsibility to be a certain type of person. So when God comes to Samuel and he says, hey, how long are you going to be like this? Because Samuel, you're the prophet. Right now, you're the only one that can do the anointing. Get up, get out your feelings, and move forward in faith. Right? And, and I think sometimes we're all like just stuck in an emotional state. And we can't sense or see what God's doing. And here's the good news, though. Here's the good news. God's ultimate will, and this is going to be true for every single person here today. God's ultimate will is not threatened by what his permissive will allows. God permits things to happen that are not good. God permits us to sin like Saul did. <coughs> God permits things that are consequences of our free will and our the propensity to do things that are dumb and sinful and stupid, but it doesn't threaten his ultimate will. Some of us need that because I think some of us here this weekend at Rockbridge, you are emotionally stuck over something that has come into your life. Maybe it's a consequence of something you've done. Maybe it's something that was done to you that was traumatic and very, very painful. Maybe it's the diagnosis that you thought you should, nobody needs to have this diagnosis now or ever, but you've got it and you're dealing with it. But listen, God's ultimate will is not threatened by what his permissive will allows. So Samuel, so Matt, so Rockbridge, how long are you going to be stuck? We've got things to do, right? And then Samuel responds. He still doesn't see God. He's hearing him, but he's not getting, getting on board with him. He says, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Fear. Fear. The Lord answered, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. This is very, very important as we, as we bridge Old Testament to New Testament and we bridge sacrifice and the, the, the blood of the animals, eventually the blood of Jesus that paves the way for things. But he says... Uh, Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll let you know what you were to do. God's like, I'm not going to give you every detail, but I do need you to get moving. Listen, God's not always going to give us a detailed step-by-step -step path, but he is going to say, hey, let's go this way, one step at a time. 
And so get moving. And then he says, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. So a couple of things for us here today about missing God. That when you start howling God, you're going to start missing God. Because his ways are not our ways. How, God, am I going to get through this? How, God, is anything good going to come out of this? How, God, am I going to deal with his emotions? How am I going to deal with Saul? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You'll miss God if you get stuck on the how. But I also want us to see something in the text that pushes us forward to the, to the New Testament. He says, I want you to go offer a sacrifice. Because the way you can stand in the presence of God is through the blood in the Old Testament of animals. The way we stand in the presence of God is through the one-time shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so, an antidote to fear, hear me, an antidote to doubt of the goodness, the love of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12 says, 11 says, they have defeated him. You know who him is? Satan. How have they defeated Satan? By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. So Samuel, you're going to go and you're covered by the blood. Church, we go covered by the blood. That answers our questions. Is God for us? Yes. Is God love us? Yes. Can God bring good things out of bad? Yes. That's what the blood did. And so we read a verse like James 4, 7, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he's getting out of dodge, baby. Right? And so Samuel, go. How long are you going to stay stuck? Last week we talked about obedience. Samuel did what the Lord directed. And he went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? The prophet usually shows up with a message of, uh, of c conviction, right? He says, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly... The Lord's anointed one is here before him. Certainly, this is the one God's going to pick. Certainly, this is how God's going to accomplish uh, his, his mission. Certainly, this, is, this has to be God. This has to be of God. He is so sure. Now, Eliab's not the one, but it shows us another factor that plays into things of how, why we miss God. Failure to become indifferent to anything but God's will. Makes it hard to see what God's up to. Samuel walked into this. Jesse's got all these sons. He walks into this with a preconceived notion of what the next king has to look like. He judges a book by its cover. He thinks this is the person God's going to use. Certainly this is how God does it. He never gets indifferent to anything but the will of God. You want to know how, pray to pray, how to pray prayers that get answered? Become indifferent to anything but God's will. And he failed to do that. And so what he sees is this oldest brother, oldest sibling, firstborn, if you will. He's like, surely this is the next king of my country, of my people. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. 
But the Lord said to Samuel, as we move forward in verse 7, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the heart. And, and so we look at things differently than God. His ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. And, and it shows us something that we have a tendency to. You've probably, if you've been to Rockridge for a while, you may have heard me talk about this. It's a psychological phenomenon, but what we're, what we're so often guilty of is confirmation bias, which is a basic human tendency, here's the definition, to search for evidence that supports personal beliefs and to overlook contradictory claims. So Samuel believes the king needs to look a certain way, needs to be a certain place in the birth order uh, of a you know, 1100 B.C. family, right? So that's generally going to be the firstborn male. The, the king has to look this way, and, and so Samuel has confirmation bias. And, 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 that, and that is why so many people miss God, because we think this is what God does. This is how God does it. God sees it the way I see it. Let me show you some areas where we have confirmation bias. How we see ourselves. Some of us have a too elevated view. Some of us have a, a devalued view of ourselves. How we see our politics. There's a lot of confirmation bias about politics. As if, you know, one political party has a monopoly on the Sermon on the Mount. And, a, you know, and one political candidate is, is Jesus. No, we don't ever get to vote for Jesus, just to kind of clue everybody in, right? And, and, but we have confirmation bias about our politics. So prevalent in the 2020 election. So we're not going to lose our minds in 2024, church. It's kind of foreshadowing that, okay? Our, our king is Jesus, okay? All right. But we have confirmation bias about how we see other people. We, we, we look at other people and we judge. The, we, we look just like Samuel did. We see other people a certain way. We have how we see the convicting truth of God's word. You ever been in church and you hear a message? You're like, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear, see, to hear, to, hear, to, see, here to hear this. But you're the one here to, you're the one hearing it now, right? So we have this confirmation bias, and we have confirmation bias on sometimes on how we see God. Some of us have developed a view of God in our childhood, and it's not the biblical God. Some of us, our view of God is, is strictly taskmaster and, and, and drill sergeant, right? And, 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 and so there, there's a difficulty you have of embracing the love of God, the radical, steadfast love of God, because we have confirmation bias that's been built into us. So... Samuel is just acting in that, and he's, he's not indifferent to the will of God. And so God says no to Eliab, and then Jesse goes and gets Abinimdab and presents him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, and Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. And after Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? Now, in verse 1, God had already said, it's one of Jesse's sons. So God's word is telling you there's another son, even though Jesse has only brought seven. Seeing as God sees, right? This question that he asked is a faith-based question because the word of God says it's one of Jesse's sons. You only see seven. Dad only brought seven. And so Samuel's like, there's got to be somebody else. 
And nobody, not the prophet, not even his own father, thought it could be David. Overlooked, missed God's guy. Because his ways are not our ways. And in pride, we think it's got to be the most impressive, the one that the culture would recognize. The one that culture would put on People magazine. And there's so many of us here, and you think you don't count because you don't fit some pre-described notion of what it means to look the part and look successful. Take heart in the story. Don't miss God's work in your life right now. And so, is this all the sons you got? It's almost like, Jesse, you can imagine him like, well, they're still the youngest. But right now, he's tending the sheep. That's the job nobody wants. Every house has a chore nobody wants. My sons fight for it. They want to mow the front yard because it's the smallest, right? You got to get the backyard this week. Oh, you know, everybody's got that, right? He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, send for him. Nobody's eating until he gets here. Like, I'm getting goosebumps. I mean, this is so crazy, right? God's working. Nobody sees it. But finally, Jesse sends for him. He had beautiful eyes and healthy appearance. Now, this is kind of garbled up in the Hebrew, and there's not really a clean translation, but I, I, I'll share with you something I learned. Uh, this might read like this if I put it in, in just like English vernacular, like, oh, he's such a cute little boy. That might be more accurate because a lot of people think David's a teenager when this happens. He's probably 14, 15. Uh, some believe he was, could have been as young as 10, but I, I didn't find anything that said he was older than like 15, okay? So like, he's got his learner's license, let's put it that way, all right? And he's going to be the next king. And nobody saw it coming. Because we, we miss God. Like I missed the stop sign. And then the Lord says, anoint him. For he is the one. The one dad overlooked. The one the prophet Samuel overlooked. How did they miss God? For God chose things despised by the world. Shepherds. Young, the youngest, the last born. Things counted as nothing at all. Hey, bring your sons up. Jesse brings seven. He leaves eight with the sheep. Not important. He's the runt. Right? And he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. God will not bow to the ways of the world. He will not accommodate pride. He's the one. Which kind of takes us back to Samuel and, and reveals a third factor reason of why we miss God. We don't pray for spiritual sight to see. We have physical sight. We have the sense of smell. We can reason, but we don't pray for spiritual sight share you this from uh, Psalm 119, 18 and 24. Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. Your decrees are my delight and my counselors. Isn't that amazing? So one of the ways you can pray for your own self, 
before you even come to church and hear a sermon or go to your small group and discuss Bible study, God, would you open my eyes so I may see? Some of us have friends that are not Christ followers. Maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Here's how you pray for yourself. Here's how you pray for your friends. God, we need you to open their eyes to see your glory, to see your man. Just like they miss David, people miss Jesus as the reason, as the hope, as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the true King of kings and Lord of lords. So pray for spiritual sight. So now that we know it's David, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, came powerfully on David from that day forward. He has the Spirit. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. So now the transition spiritually through anointing has taken place. But Saul's still the king. And we don't know what's become of runt David, right? So we don't know yet. But an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment Saul. So Saul's servant said something to him. Probably a better translation is a distressing spirit that God allowed upon Saul. Because when we lose the vacuum of the Holy Spirit, leaves Saul, that vacuum gets filled by a distressing or an evil spirit. This is an act of judgment due to Saul's repeated hard heart. This will come up again and again and again as we navigate through the text. So Saul's servants say to him, You see that an evil spirit from God or distressing spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the liar. So the question becomes, how are we going to get David from Jesse's house and the pasture? How are we going to get him to the palace? So, whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the liar and you will feel better. Notice they're just trying to help Saul feel better, not become better. We'll talk about that. Then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. How convenient. His ways are not our ways. He's always working though, right? He is also a valiant man, a warrior. We'll, learn, we'll see that next week when we meet Mr. Goliath. Eloquent, handsome, and the Lord, most importantly, is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who's with the sheep. Now this is crazy. This is one of those like, God, that's amazing. He's been anointed to be the king he pours the oil on him. The Holy Spirit comes on him and it's like, hey, David, get back to the pasture. God, you're not working now. You, you promised me the palace and I'm going back to the pasture. That's not David's attitude, but you can see how he could think that way. Because listen, listen, listen. You and I will miss God when we put worldly position and power over the presence of God. Who has the presence of God in this story? The man in the palace or the young boy out in the pasture? The young boy out in the pasture. Don't think God's abandoned you. Because the pasture is not the sign of God's absence. It's actually the scene of his presence and his preparation. 
You ever feel like your life's in the pasture? And you want the palace. God, what are you doing? I should be in the palace by now. God, why are you putting me out to pasture? God, I just got anointed to be the king. I, just, I feel like there's all these promises and potential in my life. And I have literally, a shepherd in this day was literally probably the lowest occupation or one of that someone could have. But when you prioritize the presence of God, it does not matter if you're in the pasture or the palace because God's with you. And we don't need to miss God. So listen. I bet you there's a lot of us here and you're in the pasture right now. And you're tempted to have an emotion that is not a faith. You may be tempted to get stuck in that emotion just like Samuel was way back in verse 1. Can you see through the word of God and we're praying right now as I preach that the spirit of God would help us to see God I am in the pasture but I still can have your presence. Don't let me miss you, Jesus. Don't let me miss you. Now, the, the other part of the story is uh, Saul's servants, right? They want him to feel better. And boy, isn't that a priority in our culture, right? I mean, we have drugs and drinks and medicine and, and extreme and crazy entertainment and Netflix binges that can help us all feel better, right? So we can go get David and he can play his liar and help you feel better. But really, we'll miss God when we prioritize feeling better over repentance and seeking God. Like if our goal is just to feel better, well, we can accomplish that down at the bar, right? Amen. We can accomplish that with, with you know, a crumble cookie, Right? I can accomplish that when I go get my beloved peanut butter pie down the street, right? If, if feeling better is the whole point, then that can be accomplished. But Saul never gets the priority of repentance and seeking God. And he misses God. So the story starts to wrap up with Jesse, who's going to send his son off to serve the king. His youngest son, the overlooked son, to serve the king. Because he's going to eventually become the king. So he took a donkey loaded with bread and wineskin and one young goat and sent them by his son David to Saul. When David came to Saul and entered his service, Saul loved him very much and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service for he has found favor with me. Whenever the spirit from God, this distressing spirit, came upon Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play. And Saul would then be relieved. David becomes a source of grace and mercy to Saul. David, Saul would be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. And, and, and this is where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll close and transition, but you, you got you to kind of think about something. David's 14, 15, 16 years old. He's been anointed with the Holy Spirit. His destiny has been spoken over him to be that he will be the next and the eventual king of Israel. He gets sent back to the palace. He gets, or he's sent back to the pasture. 
He gets brought into the palace to play music and, and carry the spear and the sword of the king. What is David doing in this story? He, he has no idea what's about to happen next week. It's so good. Got to come back, right? He has no idea how this promise of God is going to manifest itself. He has no idea. He just knows he's been in the pasture and been faithful and had the presence of God upon him. And he just knows he's being brought for such a time as this to the palace. And he just starts serving Saul. And this is where we end. Because I believe this truth is for all of us. We just do the next thing. God, what are you doing? What do I do? Just do the next right thing. The next obedient thing. And, and oftentimes that's going to mean to bring the grace of God and the gifts of God and the fruit of His Holy Spirit into everything you do. If you are in the pasture, do the next right thing. If you get summoned to the palace, do the next right thing. If you get thrown a curveball by life and the permissive will of God, do the next right thing. Just show up and be a person of faith committed to not missing God. Because He's always working. But His ways are not our ways. And He works through humility. Through an overlooked, last-born shepherd boy who gets brought into the palace to serve a king who's narcissistic and going crazy. And he just says yes, because it's the next thing for him to do. Do the next thing, and don't miss the God who's always working. Let's bow and pray together. God, I want to thank you that you're always working. God, I thank you. And I, I, Lord, I know there's just some people here that need to receive that by faith right now. God, there's people here who, who are in the pasture of life. And they need to know that is not a sign of your absence, but can actually be a scene of your gracious and abundant and amazing presence. God, there, there is not a single person here that you are not working on them, in them, with them, through them, around them, or for them. And I pray what we just read from Psalm 19, that you would open our eyes so we, God, may see you working and do the next right thing to join you as you work for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for that we pray, hallelujah, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.